morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Couldn't be easy. We sure wish you would. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight up to the top of the list. Got plenty, plenty of time. Got an entire program here. There you go. In front of us. <laughs> <laughs> Your last couple of weeks, seems like we've been having quite a bit more calls uh-huh. than we were having at one time. And I don't know if it's because of the summer. You know, summer does tend to kill cars or speed up a lot of things. Sure. And I guess along with all the normal failures that you see on cars, you see air conditioning failures. Mostly, yeah. Which, well, I mean, this time of year, everybody's trying to use their air conditioning. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, it is almost miserable out there right now, and it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Or 10 o'clock in the morning, Well, I say. and if you're from South Louisiana, one thing that you realize is that an air conditioner has to work at virtually 100%. Oh, yeah. Close is not going to get it here. And I had a lady came in the shop the other day, and she says, well, my air conditioner just isn't getting cold enough. Uh-huh. So we checked the car, and it was blowing 42 degrees out of the vents, which is all that particular unit is going to do. And so when she came to pick the car up, I said, well, it's fully charged. It's, it's blowing at full speed. The condenser's clean. It's really doing all that it can do. She says, well, but when I turn it on, it just doesn't blow cold right away. Okay. I said, well, it's not going to blow cold right away. you got to remember what air conditioners do. They don't technically blow cold. They remove heat. Correct. And you have got a car that's been sitting in the sun. It's probably 150 degrees inside. There you go. The interior's heated up. All those vents under the dash are heated up. That cold 42 degree air when it starts blowing through 150 degree vent by the time it reaches those outlets it's not going to be no it's cold. not <laughs> now eventually it will remove the heat right and then you will get the sensation of cool but it just can't do it instantly and she says well all before here i said before the ambient temperature outside was about 70 to 80 degrees <laughs> right so the interior was probably 110 at most at most and now it's 130 140 degrees in this car it's just a, a big deal. I mean, it's doing all it can do. Right. And she says, oh, okay, well, what should I do? Well, I mean, crank it up and let the air conditioner run before you get in the car. Yeah, you got bothers you. Because it's got to remove heat. Sure. And it can only do that at a certain measured rate. And a lot depends on how the car is designed, the amount of glass it has relative to the size of the air conditioner. Because... Glass is a big thermal load. Sure. Solar energy comes through it, sort of like a greenhouse. Well, the insulation that's in the vehicle. How much insulation, if any, because yep. some cars don't use a lot. Some do have some in them. But for the most part, none of them have a tremendous amount of insulation in them. And two, if you get four people in a car, number one, you're opening four doors. Correct. So a huge amount of outside heat pours in. But you've got four bodies sitting there that are emitting about 100-degree temperature apiece. Mm-hmm. So exactly. that's a heat load. All that heat has to be removed. All that radiant energy has to be removed before you're going to feel the sensation right. of cool. And you know what I like to do is when I get in the vehicle, mm-hmm. instead of turning the air conditioner on right away, mm-hmm. put the windows down and go a couple miles with the windows down and let it pull some of that heat out because you can do that. the heat inside the vehicle is going to be a whole lot hotter than the heat outside. Right. For the most and then, will. then you can put the windows up and then turn yeah. the air conditioner on. It'll work a little well, easier. Well, you can do that. Or like I said, it will bring it down. It you will. You've got to it's realize just have to work. in this type of heat with this type of humidity, that's another thing. As humidity goes up, the unit has to work harder because the water on the calls take away some of the efficiency. Mm-hmm. So when it's, it's removing the humidity and removing the heat, it's going to work a bit slower. So just one of those things before you go out and try to get the air conditioner service is – 
sometimes it just takes that's a little all bit longer. Do, yeah. You have to take an account. It's awful hot out there. So let's go to our phone lines. Steve, good morning, Steve. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. It's been quite a while since I've talked to you. I've got a 97 Ford Explorer, okay. eight-cylinder, and I was driving home from work yesterday, and I saw a bit of smoke, just a, a mere mist. looked like it was coming out the AC vent. Okay. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. But then I went to put my windows down and realized that none of the windows would go down. I thought, well, this is strange. And then I figured, well, it probably was smoke that I saw. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. And when I got home and started looking, uh-huh. I realized that all of the interior lights, the dome lights, they weren't working either. Okay. And neither was the windshield wipers. Okay. What? Ties all three of those systems. Well, all of those run through what they call the GEM module. GEM is General Electronics Module. Control okay. all those. And Ford has had more than a little bit of trouble with those GEM modules. Do the headlights work? Yes. Okay. They, they work on bright and on dim, and both of them work? Uh, both of them work. I didn't check if it was bright yeah. and dim. Well, you might check that, and that doesn't really mean anything. The headlights do work through it, but, see, a computer can fail on one driver, and knock out certain items and not knock out others. Another one may fail on other items. I know a lot of times we get them in with the gym mods and the headlights don't work, but maybe the air conditioning all does work and windows might work. So right. it just depends on how it failed, but that is certainly one thing. Now, before you go changing that module, clearly, you want to check all your fuses and fuse links. Make sure you don't have a fuse link blown because it's possible the power to the gym module could have gone down. Okay. Or a wire or ground to it, any of those things. It does have a quite a bit of amperage running through it. It's basically like a... It's kind of like a smart fuse box almost in that it's a bunch of relays, and they're electronic. They're silicon control rectifiers, but that's what's doing all the switching. In other words, when you're hitting those switches on the dash or on the windows or whatever, you're sending a request to the gym module to lower the windows or do whatever you want, and it runs silicon control rectifiers, which distributes the power to all the different circuits. So okay. make sure you got all the fuses in both boxes are good and didn't blow a fuse or any of that kind of stuff. And if all that's good, basically the way you have to test a gym is if you have a Ford scan tool, you can hook up, command all the features, and see what works and what doesn't work. So it makes it a little bit easier. But if you don't, you have to check all the inputs, all the powers, all the grounds, and then check the outputs. If all the inputs are there and the outputs aren't, then you know the module's bad by default. Where is that gym module? Hmm. You'd have to look it up yeah. in service data. I'm not sure. They're generally Ford. under the dash. They put them all kind of different yeah. places. Some of them are real hard to get to. You have to take a lot of dash out to get to them. Other ones are kind of right behind the radio somewhere. I don't know on that particular one, but uh, some of them are easier. Some of them are harder. Okay. They figure it from an hour to five hours to get it out of there, <laughs> depending on where they decide to put it. Well, if it wasn't, if the wipers worked, I mm-hmm. wouldn't worry too much about the windows. Yeah, well, and you have to have at least yeah. the driver's window working to get an inspection sticker. But, yeah. yeah, the wipers, the windows, the lights, the blower, all that at some point in time does go through that gym module and certainly that's not the only thing because right. you could say well the ignition switch all those things also go through the ignition switch yeah and it's got multiple leads on the ignition switch so it could have been a wire on the back of the switch burned off or it could be one circuit in the switch burn off and you know just because it starts and cranks and all that it's got probably if you're looking at ignition switch probably got 15 wires going into it right each one's a different circuit so you just have to get a voltmeter and a, a wiring diagram and go out and start tracing some circuits or alternatively, bring it to the shop and have them trace it. It wouldn't take very long to isolate something like that in the shop. The only problem is I live in Pride. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's uh, shops and pride. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to bring it to your shop. Yeah. But you're just so far away from me. Uh-huh. You've uh-huh. done work on a few of our cars. Yeah, well, we'd appreciate it if you can see a way to do that. I mean, we could run it down for you pretty quick. And sometimes we can repair those gym modules because they are kind of pricey. I want to say they're in the $500 range normally. But sometimes they can be repaired. Uh, okay. You could go in and change the rectifier that burned out or something. just depends on what happened. If the motherboard goes out, you got to change it. But right. if one of the rectifiers went out, sometimes you can swap those out. You were talking about the fusible links. Where mm-hmm. exactly are they located? Well, again, again, I'd have to look in service yeah. data. Steve, okay. they, they use so many different designs on cars anymore. Even on a that particular year model Explorer may have five different places they decide to put them. Just depending on what planet came out of and what week they built it, you know? Right. Uh, you pretty much got to look all that data up to know where it's at. But just look. There's a big fuse box under the hood. And right. there's no one inside the car. I would certainly check those yourself. And just kind of poke around under the hood, see if you see any wires that look like they're burned or anything. Kind of well, look under the dash, see if you see anything looks burned. Well, I started doing that this morning, uh-huh. and then it started raining. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the time, well, I'm not going to say most of the time. A lot of times, those fuse links are around the starter somewhere. They come off that big terminal on the starter and then run off into the harness somewhere. Okay. Sometimes they're around the fuse box. just depends on where you decide to put them. Would I be wrong in thinking that since I saw a wisp of smoke inside, that the problem is likely to be inside? Well, it could very well be, but then again, it could have drawn it in from the outside. you got a big cow vent right there at the base of the windshield, so okay. I would start looking inside first, clearly. Right. But if you don't see anything, I wouldn't use that and say, well, it has to be because of this, you know? Right. Well, I did look inside under the driver's dash, uh-huh. and I didn't see anything, anything. visible. I'm used to looking for burn wires. I'm yeah. an aircraft mechanic by trade. Well, yeah, and see, sometimes those the modules will smoke themselves. Right. It's, we always refer to that as letting the smoke out of it. Exactly. <laughs> once you let it, they must be smoke powered because once you let the smoke out, they don't work anymore. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we use that term in the aviation industry. <laughs> All right, Steve. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All appreciate right, the call, man. All righty. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. Why don't you want to give us a call? We're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. 291-6901 is the number. And that's what John did. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Quick question. I have got a 2014 Toyota Highlander. Me and my wife bought new. Mm-hmm. It has the V6. I won't name the dealership, but they tell you when you buy it, they'll change the oil for two years. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay. So we've been bringing, well, my wife called to make an appointment mm-hmm. this past week. It was time for the, for some service. Uh-huh. So we bring it in, and my wife said, well, I need oil change and stuff. And the lady told her on the phone, well, we just change the oil every other time. We just rotate the tires every 5,000. We don't change the oil to 10,000. Yeah. And uh, when she told me that, I kind of went through the roof. And yeah. I'm like, well, it's not... It's not major, but I'm like your old school. I like to do it like every three to 4,000. Well, it depends, too, John, on the way the vehicle is being operated. It's irresponsible of them to give you a number like that without knowing how you operate your vehicle. Yes, sir. Because let's say you live in Baton Rouge and worked in Atlanta, and you drive 500 miles each way every day. Well, you could probably go a much longer period like that. But most people don't do that. They live four or five miles from where they work, and they crank the car up. It drives four, five, ten miles. They shut it off. It sits half a day. They go to lunch four or five miles. They shut off. That's the reality of how most people operate their vehicle, which is extreme service. Now, under those terms, you need much, much more frequent oil changes. So to just give you a number without knowing or even asking how you operate the vehicle, in my opinion, is very irresponsible. I wouldn't trust anybody to service my vehicle that had that type of a program right and i'm this vehicle is driven in town a lot Mm -hmm. like the severe service Mm -hmm. deal and Mm -hmm. that's why it's in my head to change it like every three to four thousand i would because i'm gonna tell you number one the moisture and stuff that's gonna build up that crankcase is gonna do a huge amount of damage we see more rear main seals valve covers front timing cover seals leaking timing chains wearing out i mean stuff that we used to never see 20 years ago I mean, right. 20 years ago, you'd buy a car, you'd get tired of looking at it before right. a motor would get in trouble. <laughs> right. And what, nowadays, I mean, we're putting motors in cars at 100,000 miles on a regular basis. Right, right. What kind of oil do you think that dealership is using? Do you think it's probably mm-hmm. Toyota oil? Well, you'd have to ask to be sure. I know we buy our oil from Toyota. We buy it in 55-gallon drums from Toyota, the 0W20 and, you know, the different 5W30 and the different ones. Most Toyotas either take 020 or 530 nowadays, most of the modern ones. And, yeah, that so is, and that's a synthetic product, which right. is a good all, but I don't know if they're using that or if they're buying a bulk all. I would certainly ask that and make sure what they are using. Right, that's what I'll do. I'll just call them and ask them. And mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, in between when they don't change it until this thing runs out, I'll right. just change it myself. There you go. That's what yep. most people have been, yeah, I think been doing. Yeah, I think you'd be way dollars yeah. ahead. Right, I think so. Okay, Lewis, thank right. you for your time. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got John again. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. question kind of going back to what you started off with, air conditioning. Okay. When you, when you get in a car and it's hot, mm-hmm. some people will turn the air conditioning down to the coldest possible temp, say mm-hmm. 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. Does that help any? No. It doesn't help at all, and I, make a bit of I don't like to do that because when you do, you're moving a bunch of servos and stuff unnecessarily. That car, automatic temperature control is going to automatically put it on maximum cooling until right. it reaches the temperature it wants, and then it's going to automatically shift. See, I prefer to allow that system to do its own thing. You flipping that down is not going to cool off one bit faster. It's not going to do anything. It has to remove heat, and it's going to take so long to do that. Whether that's set on 60 degrees or you set it on 72, it. yeah, it, it's going to stay the same. On my car, I set my thermostat somewhere around 70 degrees because that's comfortable for me. I leave it there year-round. I don't ever fool with it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yes, sir. You bet. Bye-bye. 
right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And you know, while we're talking about air conditioner, another misnomer that a lot of people have is that they see where it says maximum and then it says something Normal. like fresh air or whatever. And that maximum setting is generally the best setting to leave it on. They're thinking maximum, we're going to strain the unit more. But on maximum setting, if you have one, that's generally where it's going to default to recirculate rather than drawing fresh air in. Mm -hmm. And in the extreme temperature, you definitely want to recirculate that air because what happens is that the unit is removing the humidity and removing the heat. If you have it on fresh air, it's constantly drawing in humid, hot air from outside. Correct. And it has to work twice as hard to do that. A lot of cars, if you put them on fresh air, they just won't even cool the car properly. You'll notice maybe a 5 to 10 degree difference sure. between recirculate and fresh air on a lot of cars just because it cannot handle that additional load. I mean, the unit in the car is pretty good size, and it's designed for normal temperatures. But like I said, South Louisiana, it can easily be 100 degrees ambient with 90% humidity. Sure. That's one heck of a, of a load, load trying, on that unit. Right. And like you said earlier, if the car's been sitting out in the sun, the radiant energy, it might be 140 or plus degrees plus, yeah. inside that car, particularly if it's a dark-colored car. Yeah, leave your thermometer sitting in the console and read it when you come it, out. It may bust. It, it will amaze you <laughs> how hot it gets inside those vehicles. It may bust. And, of course, there's been a number of tragic sure. stories in the news where either pets or even children, in some cases, have been left in cars sure. and suffocated just you know, a human body can't take that kind of temperature, and it's not real good on the car either. No, it's not. So let's go back to our phone lines. Jeremy, good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, good morning. Yes, I got sir. a quick question for you, you on, on the topic of air conditioner. Mm -hmm. I totally broke on my compressor, and I had it changed out. Mm -hmm. The pressure release valve, though, on my compressor wasn't on my compressor. It was actually on the manifold. Okay. They didn't change that pressure release valve. Uh -huh. And I went to pick the car up, and it started putting the Freon out yeah. the front of the uh, pressure release valve, it stayed open. It never shut. It just leaked everything out. Just huh. like somebody, you know, pulled the plug on, right, on a right. blow-up raft. And it just leaked all the way down. And I said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, oh, I'm about to change that out. He said, I'm just going to vacuum it down and change that and refill it. I said, well, the dryer's going to be okay after that. That's a lot of fresh air getting in there. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. I was just wondering if that's something I need to worry about in the future that it did that, and it's cool and fine now. Right. Well, I mean, if it didn't stay empty for any length of time, for instance, if it blew the charge and you went right back, odds are the dryer would be okay because it takes a little while for the air to leak in and humidity to get into the dryer and overwhelm the dryer and all that. So if that was the case, now, if it blew the charge and it sat for two weeks and you went back, no, that would be a whole different story. Okay. Yeah, no, he put it on. He, he tightened a spring in that valve and put a vacuum on it within, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah, no, you'd be fine. Okay. There are certain guidelines for different manufacturers, but most of them say you can open the system so long as it doesn't stay open a long period of time and so long as you thoroughly vacuum it out to remove all that's in there. You don't have to necessarily change the dryer every single time, particularly if it had been changed before because it's a brand-new, fresh dryer. Now, right. if, if that dryer had 150,000 miles and 20 years on it, you know, and you open the system, yeah, it would probably overwhelm it because it was already on its last legs. But, yeah, yeah if it had yeah. a fresh dryer in there prior to that and it was only out for a few hours, I think you'd be just fine. Well, it sounds like they did a good job. There you man. go. I appreciate you. All right, Jeremy. Thanks, man. Okay. Thank you, boy. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. We'd love to have you. And you know there's nothing wrong with a second opinion. That's right. Well, just to 
for your own peace of mind. Exactly. Else. And a lot of the dryers now, as they call them, are part of the condenser right. on many new cars. In fact, some of them you have to change the condenser to change the dryer. Correct. It's a sealed unit all kind It's of actually soldered into the tubing put of together. the condenser. That's right. Condenser. Some you can get just a little bag. You can open the receiver and change the desiccant bag. Uh-huh. Some you can't. So it just depends. But it's always a good idea on an older car, if you open the system, to go ahead and replace the desiccant right. or the dryer simply because they are not going to last forever. What that desiccant is, basically it's just a little linen bag with a clay in it, a, a super dry clay. Right. And that clay is going to absorb moisture. Correct. But it can only hold so, so much. much. Right. And then it's going to be used up. It's just like a sponge at home. You, know, you put it under the water faucet, right. it'll hold water for so long, and That's then, right. then it's going to come, come, out. come through it. And you don't have to replace a filter dryer every single time the system is open. You know, it's open for just a matter of moments. It's a fairly new dryer on there, and you vacuum it out properly, remove all the moisture from it. Right. Now, another thing with vacuuming the system, I know nowadays most people say, well, you can vacuum it out for 15, 20 minutes, and that's good. But I like to vacuum a car out a long, long time because the way vacuuming works, it doesn't literally suck out everything. That moisture is all inside that system. The way vacuuming works is that when the pressure drops, and when you drop the pressure in the system to 28, 28 28.5 inches of vacuum, the water and the moisture starts to boil because Mm -hmm. as pressure goes down, the boiling point goes down. Correct. It starts to boil, it turns to a vapor, and that's when it can draw it out. It can't draw liquid liquid vapor out of the system. So I know... Way back in the day, we used to vacuum a car sometimes for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Now, that's not practical in every shop every time. And I know they do have a little bit better equipment nowadays than they had back then. But certainly you want to leave the vacuum on there for at least an hour or two. A lot of people will draw it down 10 minutes, charge Charge it, it and and send it back out. And I just don't think you get quite as good a job when you do that. Just because it's sort of like we talk about all the time with the moisture in the oil in your engine. When it hits 212 degrees, that water is going to start to boil, but it's not going to all boil instantly. It's not going to turn to vapor instantly, and the PC system is not going to suck it out instantly. It's going to take time for that to occur. Same thing sort of in reverse on the refrigerant system. In the engine, you're raising the temperature to to achieve the ball point. In the air, you're lowering the pressure pressure to achieve the ball point. Either way, it gets the moisture out. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Well, welcome back, and thanks for joining us. This is Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We appreciate your calls. Give us a call, 291-6901. That'll get you right up to our top of the list. That it will, and should you happen to miss your opportunity this morning, mm-hmm. or maybe think of something next week at midnight, there you, go. you can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. That's Couldn't be much easier. That's exactly right. And we were talking a little bit about air conditioning just because it's such a timely topic. And I had three cars come in this week. One lady with a Grand Marquis, and she said that her air conditioner just quit working all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And when I asked, I said, well, is it? blowing hot or is it blowing just ambient temperature right so it's hot and i said okay hot like a heater she's oh yeah hot like a heater okay and so when the car came in of course the first thing we do raise the hood compressor is turning you reach down touch two hoses one is hot and one is cold like they should be hook some gauges up to it and the charge and pressure seem to be normal but it is blowing hot like a heater Mm -hmm. now what we got to remember there's kind of two sides to an air conditioning system correct you have the refrigeration side which is what removes the heat that's what gets cold but you also have the electrical side and there's several components to the electrical side you have a blower fan that blows the cool air out to you or the hot air or the hot they, air depending they, on which one they all use the same same blower same blower motor exactly right and that's controlled through a speed controller that gives you your different speeds correct some of them are just like a little resistor unit. Some of them are a little computer. But then you've also got a number of doors under the dash of the car. One is called a temperature door. One is called a mode door. One is called a research door. and One's a defrost door. And they might not use those exact terms. They might call it an air mix motor. They right. might call it all kinds of things, just terminology being what it is. But there are all these little doors that open and close. And the way those operate is that the air from the blower blows through the evaporator core, which is cold. That removes the heat from the air and removes the humidity. Mm -hmm. That cold air is then ducted into the pasture compartment when you command AC. AC. Now, the air coming out of that blower is somewhere in the 40s. Right. Normally, depending on the car, anywhere from 42 to 48 degrees at that point. Right, at that application. Right. Now, that would be too cold for most people so what they then do is to reheat the air to a comfortable temperature for instance when you move your little knob up or down on your air conditioner control head there or your little button or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be you're not really lowering the efficiency of the compressor one way or the other right it's still putting out the same amount the same pressure everything it, what it's doing instead is, is reheating the air. It's reintroducing heat into the cold air stream, which brings it back up to maybe 70 degrees or 65 degrees or whatever you feel is comfortable in the car. Now, the reason they do that is because if they don't cool the air, they're not dehumidifying the air. Mm-hmm. And cool, dehumidified air is much more comfortable sure. than warmer air. So by cooling it down, they remove the humidity, and then they reheat it to the temperature that you want inside the car. And that humidity drains down to the bottom of the box and runs out 
underneath the vehicle on, through the, a hose, which is the which is the drain you see under the car. Correct. We're going to talk a bit about that in a minute. But where I was going with all this, the actuator, which is a little motor that opens and closes that blend door, the heater door on this one, had stuck in heat position, and right. the little actuator had burned up. So. It was blowing hot air all the time because you've got an air conditioner that's putting out 40 degrees and you've got an engine that's putting out 212 degree water. The heater's going to win. Sure. <laughs> you know, that air conditioner cannot remove 212 degrees continuous heat. So it's going to win out and it's going to end up hot in the car. The point I was trying to make is I've seen people go in, their air conditioner quits cooling as well as it should. Well, the first thing they do is either they or they get their neighbor to squirt some more right, it must it. be low if it's not working yeah, right which is the absolute worst possible thing you can do especially on today's systems oh yeah well number one let's say the system wasn't low at all and you've only got a 12 ounce system right. which a lot of cars do you dump another 12 ounces in there you are 100 percent overcharged you're likely going to blow the front out of the compressor sure and some of those air compressors nowadays, you take like a Toyota with a variable displacement, clutchless compressor, that's 2600 bucks for a compressor. Exactly. It ain't the $300 <laughs> compressors you used to have. So the thing is, you don't ever want to have anyone go in and fiddle with your air conditioner who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't know what they're going after. Exactly. Another big, big issue we see is one of the cooling fans that cools the condenser may go out. Well, the first thing that happens, the head pressure goes too high, so the unit quits cooling. Well, you go and dump more refrigerant in under those conditions, and you are going to destroy You may blow the evaporator core and everything else out sure. because it's already got way too much pressure because it's not removing the heat. And like we talked about earlier, heat and pressure are roughly the same thing when it comes to refrigerant. As that temperature rises, that pressure goes way up. You go add additional refrigerant to a system like that, number one, you're not going to fix anything, but way, way worse, you may very easily destroy an extremely expensive compressor not only the compressor, but when the compressor goes, it's going to fill the system full of metal. That's exactly that right. That metal cannot be gotten out of every orifice in that right. system. So That's a good point. At the very least, you're talking about an entire replacement of the system. Right. You're going to change out the compressor. You're going to change out the condenser. If it's got an expansion valve, you can change, change the expansion it. valve. And if the big manifold hose has any mufflers or anything like That's that, got you, to be you got to replace also. that because that all traps the metal from that compressor that came apart. And there's no way to get it out other than replace those components. That's now, right. if you got a dual air, heat rear and front, then you can do it all for front for and rear. Yeah. So you can double get into some very, very, very serious money by Quick. doing the wrong type of repair on it. Let's go to our phone lines with Fernando. Good morning, Fernando. Hey, good morning, Lewis and Brian. I'm calling again here from California. Well, and I have a great question. Go ahead. You bet. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So uh, I have a 2005 Tundra. It's a 4.0, and, and this Tundra, it was overheating on, on the freeway uh, a few days ago, and it turned out that it was, what is it called in the front, the uh, radiator? radiator. Uh-huh. Yes. And so called. I didn't know what to do, and so basically I called a, a mechanic I know, and he said, and he told me what to do. He told me to, like, wait a few minutes, turn on the heater uh, uh-huh. so that the temperature go down enough to add some, some liquid. Um, only liquid I had uh, was not antifreeze, but I, I'm a coolant, but actually water so mm-hmm. now that i get the um, when i get the radiator replaced right. i want to know how many times should i replace it in order to get the most amount of uh the water in there and put the the pink fluid from toyota back in the back in the truck that's a great question fernando i'm glad you asked that and it depends if you can get the drop the block drains out where you can drain the engine block and the radiator you can probably get the vast majority out and then just putting the proper mixture back in would be pretty good 
what you can do alternatively is measure the amount that goes back in and then look up the amount that the system holds in service data. And that way you can get an idea of how much you're changing. If you're changing 90%, then you're probably okay. If you're changing closer to 50%, you're going to need to do it probably at least a couple of times. But we want to strive to try to get the block drain plugs out of the engine block where you can drain the engine block and you're putting a new radiator, so that's not going to be a concern. But I would measure, go to service data, or if you can't find it, send me an email. I'll look it up for you, how much that system okay. holds dry. And then if you're getting close to that amount back in it, then you're probably pretty good. If you're getting, say, 30% less than what you're supposed to have, then you probably have to do it twice. Yeah. If you're getting 50%, you might want to do it even, th- you know, a couple, three times. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, we that should... was my question. So oh, thank good you deal. Very much. All right, Fernando. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take our one last little break, and we'll be right back with more. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Give us a call. And you know, something occurred to me while we were off the air, mm-hmm. that last caller with the uh, radiator. Over the new vehicles, when they overheat now, mm-hmm. the first thing that happens is the air conditioning gets turned off. Well, that's right. It's a strategy that has been built into them to try to get the temperature down on the engine to keep from having trouble, I mean, ha- keep it from burning itself up. Right. Called cool down strategy. And I had a lady came in, she didn't notice the vehicle was overheating, but she noticed her air conditioning kept sure. running. She says, after I drive for about 10 minutes, my air conditioning quits working. And we checked it, and it has several overheat codes in memory. Uh-huh. I said, well, the vehicle's overheating. She said, oh, I never noticed that. <laughs> right. So it definitely got her attention. But, yeah, it will shut the AC and other non-essential systems off to try to cool itself down. And a lot of them will shut down the cylinders. Sure. And what it'll do is shut down one or two or three cylinders and pump air through the engine. It'll, to try to cool cut, it down. Cut down the injector, pump air through the engine, trying to cool itself down. So they do try to protect themselves to a degree. They will not shut down completely. They're Correct. not going to stop going because they don't want to disable you. You may be in a dangerous location. Right. So they're going to keep running, but they do do a number of different things. And, you know, we were talking just before the break about the actuators and all that uh-huh. stuff and how they operate. And, of course, on a dual-zone system, that's where you have different temperature levels side to side. There's roughly two of all this stuff. Correct. Two actuators, two blend doors, two this, two that, and so on, so that – either driver or passenger can vary the temperature on their side of the car individually. 
So it's a pretty complex system, and it works pretty good until it breaks. And then, right. You know, the more complex it is, the more it's going to cost. Well, I mean, address. when it first came out, it was cables. You know, you had a, a slide lever you pushed down, and it mm-hmm. cable moved the door inside the box, right. and it, it worked great. It worked good, and it was cheap, and it was easy. But then they went to vacuum. Vacuum, vacuum right. Because they had a source motors. of vacuum anyway. And they used little vacuum servos. And, again, those worked pretty well and didn't give much trouble. But now with the incorporation of all the electronics, they right. like the electronics to be able to move that stuff itself. So they've gone to electronic actuators. Mm-hmm. Now, an actuator is not a motor as you think of a motor. It's not something that spins. Instead, right. it's a pulse-width modulated motor or servo. And the way that works, it's got a signal between 5 volts and zero volts and negative five volts right and zero is centered and there's when it gets a signal of zero volts it goes to its center position when it receives three volts it moves one way if it gets four volts it moves further it gets five volts it moves to the maximum Mm -hmm. if it gets a negative two volts then it moves to the other side and then same thing negative three volts negative five volts zero is back to center so it's not a voltage per se. You can't just hook a 5-volt source to it. It won't work. It has to be pulsed. It's a square wave that it recognizes. And each time that wave pulses it, it moves a little bit. Correct. And that's the way that it operates. So that's why it's difficult. It's not something you can check with a voltmeter. If you had a digital lab scope where you, you could, could see, see the wave the and you knew what the pattern was supposed to look like, you could do it. Or if you've got a scan tool that's designed for that purpose, it can see it and it can tell you if it's proper or not. But that's the way those work. And cars may have anywhere from two to five of those actuators in Under them, the dash. depending on the type of system you have. At least there's generally a temperature actuator, a mode actuator, which moves it from the floor when it's on heat to the dash, when it's on vent to the windshield, when it's on defrost. And then m- most of them are going to have what they call a recirculation actuator, which can draw air from the outside or from the inside. Some have multiple temperature actuators, and some also have a defrost actuator separate from the mode actuator. Mm -hmm. So depending on the type of car that you have, they could be any number of these in there. Right. Some cars seem to have a lot of trouble with those. Other cars, not really so much. I know GM. GM has had a tremendous amount of problem in later years. The Impalas, not uncommon for them to come in. And one way they go out is they'll start clicking. Clack, right. clack, 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 They'll clack, run to clack. the, end of the, the right. end of the travel, and they'll just start clicking. Right. They're trying to find their position, and something has broken or moved inside the actuator. They can't find it, so the computer keeps pulsing it. You turn the key off, and it keeps on doing it. Clack, 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 clack. Right. After a little while, it'll say, it hey. times out. Yeah, yeah we're not getting out, anywhere. Shuts down. But it's not unusual to go into, like, say, an Impala and have to change all four of the actuators. Oh, yeah. There'll be codes in memory for all four of them acting up. Sure. The Chevy pickups are bad about temperature actuators going out, where it'll start blowing hot air or blow cold air when it's supposed to blow hot air. The Fords, are, Fords some, are kind of bad about that on some of their models. Right. Some of them are easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not so hard to get to. And then there's others that are buried underneath everything that you have to take half the or three-quarters of the dash components out to get to. That's exactly right. Some of them, half the entire dash has to come out. And to make it even worse, the little part that that actuator moves is called a door. Correct. That little blend door is normally made of plastic. Right. And the actuator shaft is generally a little square shaft that goes down into that door. 
under certain conditions, if the door jams or something, it can break that little socket on that door. I know the Fords were bad about that. They were. Back a few years ago, the Crown Vic, the Grand Marquis, and the Town Car had a lot of trouble with that. And even the Ford pickup trucks had some trouble with it. But that shaft would break, and the entire dash has to come out because it's inside of the evaporator case. Right. The case has to come out, be split open, and then you can get the door. And in many cases, Ford only sold the entire case. Right. You, you couldn't, couldn't buy, buy just, the, just door. the doors. You had to buy the entire case to get the door. And there are a couple of aftermarket companies that do make a replacement door for some applications now. Uh-huh. So it's a little bit less than having to buy a whole case, but that's not with all of them. That's on some. Right. You some just have where, to check your application. Right. If they saw where it was a big enough market potential for them to make some money, yeah, they, they went ahead and did that. But. A lot of them don't have that. Now, you mentioned a point earlier that I'd like to cover because we see this quite a bit, and that's where maybe someone is cleaning their car, vacuuming their car out, just doing their normal cleaning. They reach down, and they feel the carpet is soaking wet. Right. And the first thing that might occur to them, well, somebody must have left the window down. Okay. Or maybe my windshield's leaking or whatever. But if you notice that the water is fresh water and it's not sticky like antifreeze because mm-hmm. certainly a leaking heater core can do the same thing sure. It'll leak it's right there, there in the same box same area mm-hmm. and if it does not get bad when it rains but stays pretty bad all the time more likely the air conditioner is dripping into the car and most of the time the evaporator core is over on the right hand side and most of the time it will drip on the right hand side i have there are applications where it will drip on the driver's side that is exactly right just because of the way that system is designed what it will do it'll overflow the tray get into the duct and it's going to find the lowest point which may be on the driver's side sure we had a guy i don't recall what kind of car it was but cold water would drip on his foot right he drove a while he said well it can't be that because it's dripping on the left side I said, no no that's not a hard and fast rule most cars will drip on the most. right side so we're up on the left. And the water may run under the seat and show up in the back. Sure. Because Seen that happen. those mats sometimes have like a plastic coating on the back side. So if the water runs down the floor, it may not soak through that plastic cover on the back of the mat. Now, if you lift the carpeting up, you may notice the jute underneath the carpet is wet. Correct. But if the floor, depending on how they shape that floor, and it if- may run right past and if it's lower in the back, it may run under the seat and puddle up in the back. So right. you may notice a puddle in the back seat instead of the front. You may not notice it in the front. It's leaking in the front, but it's, it's running down. trailing to the back. All the way to the back. So Correct. it can be very, very confusing. And what normally happens that causes this is that the systems are drawing air, a tremendous amount of air through that blower all the time. Sure. Air has dust in it, and so the dust gets into the evaporator case, with the water, it starts to form mud or little yeah, dust bunnies. For lesser term, right. we'll call it mud. And as it's dripping out, that debris is flowing to that drain. And if you flow enough debris into any drain, it's not a fast-moving drain, so something's going to cling to the sides of the drain. Right, it's going to settle. Over a period of time, that can block that drain off. Now, it doesn't have to be completely blocked. I've had a lot of people argue with me and say, no, that's not it. I saw it dripping under the car. Well, it is still dripping under the car, but it's not dripping enough under the car. Correct. So that what it's doing is overflowing, and there's a little bitty tray inside that case, and the sidewalls of that tray may be a half inch, three-quarter, maybe an inch deep, depending on the application again. But if that tray overflows or if you accelerate and that body of water sloshes, it's going to pour down into the car. Now, some vehicles like your Chrysler products – didn't have a tray per se. The case itself was a seal, 
and in their infinite wisdom, for whatever reason, instead of putting four sides on the case, they put three sides with a rubber gasket and sealed it against the firewall. Correct. Now, they were kind of bad about those gaskets deteriorating over a period of time, and the water would run between the case and the firewall, the firewall and, and run, run under, under the, the carpet. carpet. And, again, the entire dash had to come out, the case had to come out, and this all had to be resealed. Sure. So there's a number of things that can cause that. The dust bunnies can plug up the little drain. That's probably the best case. Now, to clear this out, the last thing in the world you want to do, and I've seen people do this, they'll take a piece of wire or screwdriver. And jam up in the hole. Jam up in the hole, and they got a paper-thin evaporator core right on the other side. millimeters (laughs) away. Right. It's very, very easy to knock a hole in that evaporator core, and now you've just necessitated removal of the dash to replace the evaporator core. I guess the only good side of it is you can clean the case real good while you got the evaporator <laughs> core out, but that is definitely a long way around the tree. Yes, it is. So what you want to do instead is take something like compressed air and blow up in there, and not, again, 150 pounds of air. There's Correct. moderation in all things. A little bit of light air, blow it up, let it off, and see if it comes gushing out. Now, if it's a good bit of water in there, it's going to come gushing out. It's going to wash the majority of this debris out with it. And sometimes under those conditions, once is enough. More likely, it's going to flow some out, and some's going to stay in there. So you may have to do that more than one time. And that is providing you can get to the drain. Some, some of them are buried behind the uh, dryer on certain applications. Right. Some of them are behind the firewall pad on certain applications. Some are up under the frame rail. You right. Just, it just, just can't get to them. And you may have to... To come up with some kind of little hose or something to reach, to be able to reach it. That's right. And that's, and I know in the shop, we clean them out a lot of times. We'll warn people, look, I got a good bit of it out, but I couldn't get it all. If it recurs, bring it back. We'll do it again. again. And fortunately, it's a very inexpensive operation. So if you have to do it a couple of times to get it out, it's still better than pulling a dash out. Oh, yeah. Well, anything's better than pulling a dash out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Some cases, you can remove the blower motor. You can. And you can get in and you can do a little better cleaning with it. But not in all cases is that what you can do. Right. Now, there are also a handful of cars, and this is sort of, I guess, the exception that makes the rule. And even though that drain is wide open, it still drips in the car. The case is not cracked, and it's not a broken seal. Uh Uh-huh. What happens in this case, I know Chrysler minivans were bad about this, little uh, Voyagers and the Uh, town and countries and all that. Caravan. When then the caravan. Yeah. When they designed the car, they put a little rubber nipple off of that drain tube. The drain tube came out facing forward on the car. Right. There was a little ninety degree rubber nipple that ducted the water out and then back down. Uh-huh. Now, over the years what happens, that rubber deteriorates. When it does, it cracks. And when you're going down the road with 60, 70 mile an hour wind blowing, it blows off. Right. Now, when that happens, we've got a line that's facing forward. And it's getting 60-mile-an-hour wind blowing through it. Blowing the water back into the car so it can't drain or it can't drain fully. Sure. Now, under those cases, what we'd see often is when the car was driven around in town 20, 30 miles an hour, there was Everything really no was big okay. problem. But they take the car on vacation, and they say, man, I went on vacation. All of a sudden, my car's full of water. Uh-huh. Well, you just never drove the car 60, 70 miles an hour for a long period of time. And the fix was you would go in replace that little drain tube. Right. But you'd be amazed at how confusing that can be to folks because all they know is my car never did this before. I drove it a long distance at high speed, and it did. So they start imagining, well, maybe the evaporator core is freezing up, and maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And it's kind of like I tell people all the time. We'll get people call, and they want a price on this. And they say, well, maybe it's it. There's a lot maybe. of maybes. Yeah. Maybe it's all kind of stuff. 
But do you really want to waste a lot of money on maybes? Instead, what you want is someone who can go in and diagnose it, or at very least, call the automotive hour, get some knowledge, get some, there you go. go on the Internet, research it, see if you can find out. But you don't want to just go off on maybes. We, we see that all the time. Maybes get expensive very fast. Well, yeah, you will run out of money way before you run out of maybes. We had a gentleman that called a while back. He says, my truck won't start. Maybe it's, I think it's fuel pump. Well, it could be. Mm-hmm. But it could be all sorts of other things that are way less expensive. Don't you want to have a test? Well, I think I'll just change fuel pump. Okay, well, let me know how that works out for you. Right, right. <laughs> Call back about a week later. When can you look well, at yeah. it? <laughs> when can I make an appointment? Yeah, and I noticed he had a brand new fuel pump in it. So uh-huh. he basically wasted his money on the pump. And if he was smart and he went back to the manufacturer and bought a replacement pump, probably wasn't too bad off. But if he bought a cheap parts store pump, he might have got a worse pump than what he had to start with. Exactly. So, yeah, you don't want to guess at these things. It just gets too expensive. So, hey, I see we have squandered another perfectly good hour. We need to start getting on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast service and give us a written rating. There you go. Give us a written review. That'll move us up so we can keep doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.